This morning we're returning to Ancient Families, Modern Problems. I know Pastor Brian was here last week, started that series with you. I got the chance to start it off and kick it off in Belmont. We could have very easily reversed those words and said ancient problems, modern families. Uh, it's, the, the idea is that some of the problems we deal with in families happen now, but they have, didn't just come about. They've been happening for a long time. And uh, so we're trying to take a look at that. We're looking at that because all of us come from families. The family you're in now may look a little different. I don't know what kind of family you're in now. I don't know where you're at. You're married. You're not married. You have kids. You don't have kids. I'm not sure your family situation now, but I know we all came from families. We all uh, deal with families. We're all a part of some kind of family, and we all have problems as a part of that as well. And so we take a time every year to, uh, sometimes in the fall, usually in the fall, this year we're doing it in the spring, to talk about this aspect because it's an important aspect of our lives. You are not called as a Christian to live out your Christian faith in a vacuum. You live in a context. You live with people around you. And most, uh, most of us at some point in that context have a family context. And most of us at some point in that family context have problems. What does the Bible have to say about that? How do we live it out? How do we live our Christian faith out faithfully in the midst of those situations. So we'll look at different aspects of family over the next several weeks. Last week we started the series off by looking at Hebrews 11 and saying that God has not called flawless people. He's called people of faith. He recognizes that you are not flawless, but he has called you to be a person of faith in following him. And that's what he's looking for, faithful people. Uh, None of us are flawless. None of our families are flawless. Sorry if I'm breaking news to you. But none of our families are flawless, but he hasn't called you because you're flawless. He'd called you to be faithful. So this morning, I want to talk about a wonderful marriage. I want to talk about marriage today. I recognize not everyone in here is married. I understand that. I recognize there's some people in here that aren't married that may one day be married, or maybe you're in here and you will never be married, Um, but you know people who are married. Uh, You are around people who are married. And you should be informed about what marriage is like, especially from a biblical point of view. The truth is, all of us will be unmarried longer than we are married. I don't care if you're married 50 years, 60 years, or 70 years. You will be unmarried longer than you are married. I know this because Jesus says there is no marriage in heaven. So you may be married for 70 years on this earth, but you will not be married in eternity. Jesus says we're like the angels in eternity uh, and uh, we are not, uh, have the same kind of commitments that we have here, uh, that there is not, we are not given in marriage and eternity. So, but while we're here, while we're on this earth, and if you happen to be married, we ought to know how to live it out in a biblical way and what the Bible says about that. Let me start off by one of my favorite little uh, kind of anecdotes, jokes about marriage, and there are lots of them. Um, but this is one of my favorites. Uh, so there was a couple uh, that had been married 50 years. And they were married 50 years, but they didn't have a very happy marriage. In fact, they fought a lot. Uh, they were often fighting, often arguing with each other for 50 years. So on their 50th wedding anniversary, their kids decided to give them the gift of a wonderful marriage. So they bought them a series of counseling appointments. 
And so they sent them for, they bought them this series of counseling appointments. They said, Mom and Dad, we just want to help. We want to, you know, we want you to have this great marriage. We realize you've been married 50 years, but it hasn't always been easy, so we purchased this for you. And so the parents, uh, of course, they didn't want to go, and they, they didn't want it, but they're more prudent than they are upset at their, parent, uh, at their kids, so they weren't going to waste the money. So they thought, well, we'll show up to these appointments. And they went to this young counselor, barely out of college, sits down trying to counsel them on their 50-year relationship. And for the first couple of appointments, he was getting nowhere. I mean, they just, he, no matter what he said, they wouldn't talk. And then no matter what he said, they weren't listening. And he was just about ready to give up because this was going nowhere. Finally, around the third or fourth appointment, he thought, I'm going to try some shock therapy. <laughs> so he, he gets up from behind his desk. He goes around. He goes around to the wife and he plants a big, fat, wet kiss right on her lips. And then he turns to the husband and he says, Now, Pops, she needs that three times a week. And the husband looks at him. He says, Well, I can get her here Monday and Wednesday, but I don't know about (laughs) third time a week. (laughs) I'm glad you got that. I want to talk about this aspect of romance in relationship and in marriage. For those of you who are married or have been married, I hope that you've experienced a deep romantic and loving relationship with your spouse. But let me ask you one question. Have you always felt head over heels and always had those romantic feelings with your spouse? Without saying your answer out loud, I'm going to guess there's times maybe you haven't. In our culture, though, it's often elevated. Romantic love is elevated among all other aspects of love. Television, movies, it's bombarded. The message bombards us that this, this infatuation, this feeling of romantic love is the highest place of love, and this is what you need to seek after, and this is what it is all about. The challenge is that we know that romantic love, those feelings that we often have, sometimes and often fade over time. We experience how reality gets in the way of our romantic endeavors. Happens, you have a great romantic evening planned and then your spouse gets home and they've had an awful day and your plans are wrecked immediately and reality and life sometimes get in the way. In fact, many in our society will end relationships because those feelings are no longer there. Our response to the reality that love often fades over time sometimes is three things. Either some people will avoid getting married. They see that, you know, these people who are madly in love all of a sudden are at each other's throats or that love feelings aren't there, so they just avoid getting married altogether. And all the studies will show you that people are either getting married later or many not getting married at all anymore, especially with the millennial generation. Or many will end a marriage because those feelings aren't there anymore. Or some will just suffer through the marriage without those feelings there. We wait longer to get married. Some people avoid it altogether. Others say, why do I need a piece of paper to justify our relationship? Others end a relationship over what they call irreconcilable differences. One of the problems, I think, or one of the challenges to marriage is because it combines two things that we may not 
we may not uh, right off the bat think we should combine. And that is this romantic love feeling, but also a legal obligation, a legality. Marriage combines love and law. It combines duty and desire. It combines these two things together. In fact, this morning, what I want us to look at is this combination in marriage of bringing together law and love, duty and desire. And I want us, this is the main idea of the message this morning. We're going to unpack this as we look at Scripture and look at relationships. Meaningful marriage is a blend of duty and desire. Meaningful marriage, meaningful love, your marriage, the best that it can be, if it's going to be all that it can be, it's a blend of duty and desire. And that may not sound exciting right off the bat, but give me a chance and let's look at what it could mean. These problems that we have of romance fading, of uh, people wanting out of relationships are not new problems. They were happening in the time of Jesus. Uh, they were happening uh, in the time of Jesus where people who were married wanted out of their marriage. And so at one point in Jesus' ministry on earth, a group of religious leaders came to him to try and trip him up about this aspect of marriage. And it's in Matthew chapter 19. And I want to read to you verses 3 through 11 of Matthew chapter 19 because as they try and question Jesus and as they try and trip him up, he shares what his perspective, God's perspective is of marriage. And this is what it says. It says, and the Pharisees, and this is that religious group trying to trip him up, and Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. They were confusing God's allowance with intention in that moment. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case, a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. The disciples, listening to Jesus' interaction with these religious leaders, They respond in a way that maybe many in our world might respond. They say, listen, Jesus, if that's what you're saying, if you're saying there's no way out, if you're saying we can't get out when this thing displeases us, when this thing goes bad, when something goes wrong, then it's better not even to marry. Many people are saying that today. 
Many people have that same perspective today. Look, if there's these problems and it's that hard to get out of it, maybe it's better just not to get married. The disciples were articulating their contemporary understanding of marriage in their day, and especially the duty of marriage. The disciples are looking at the duty, the law aspect of marriage, and essentially saying, look, it's a contract, is their contemporary perspective. It's a contract, and contracts are made so that people keep up their end of the commitment, and they have clauses to get out if they don't. It was in their time a heavily slanted towards men when it came to rights, and especially when it came to marriage. So while romantic love might have faded, the man could say, I don't want to be married to her anymore for any reason. If there was a domestic obligation that was not being fulfilled, a man was able to say to divorce his wife and send her away. That was the contemporary society they were living in. And so these religious leaders and his disciples are approaching Jesus and saying, you know, isn't that, is that okay? Is that the way it is? What's the out clause? In a contract... We stay in the contract as long as our individual needs are being met. If I have a contract to do some work on my house and the work is not being done, the other party is in violation of the contract, my individual needs are no longer being met, so I should no longer be bound by the contract. I don't have to pay the workers anymore because they're not holding up their end of the bargain. They're not doing the work. If I sign a contract with a cable company or a cell phone company to provide service of internet or cable or phone service for me and they no longer do it, they stop sending the internet to my house, they stop providing phone service, then I am no longer obligated to the contract. I'm not going to pay. I'm not obligated to keep up my end of the contract because you're not keeping up your end, so I'm going to stop sending in my payments. In fact, I want to be credited for the days that I lost that you were supposed to provide me service that I paid for that you didn't provide me service. That's a contract. Contracts are in effect as long as the individual needs are being met and obligations are being kept. Once that's not happening, it triggers another part of the contract, which is the out clause. How do I get out? You're not keeping up your end of the bargain? I want out. In Jesus' day, many of the people were looking at marriage in that way. It's a contract. Keep up our end of the bargain. You don't keep it up, you get out. And in our day, many people look at marriage the same way. It's a contract. We got obligations. You got obligations. I got obligations. They aren't being met. If my needs aren't being met as an individual, I want to know what the out clause is. The disciples are asking what triggers the out clause in a marriage contract. Jesus essentially says to them, Boys, you've got it all wrong. It's not a contract, it's a covenant. There's a big difference between a contract and a covenant. Pastor Tim Keller says a covenant is a stunning blend of law and love. It's a blend of duty and desire. Our world thinks that duty minimizes love, but in reality, it is duty that brings a greater depth of love. The Bible says a covenant is more intimate, not in spite of being legal, but because it is legal. 
The covenant is a protection for the love. It's a place where love can truly grow and be experienced. A covenant is something that is kept despite what the other person does. Despite what you do. In a covenant, I obligate myself to certain things despite how you choose to act. In a covenant, I'm not focused on what I get out of it. My focus is on what I have committed to it. Marriage needs to be a covenant because the reality is it's not if the other person at some point will disappoint you. The question is, what will you do when the other person disappoints you? Marriage is a covenant because otherwise you will never let down your guard. You will never be yourself. You will never let yourself be fully known because you feel like you're always being evaluated, always being judged. If you violate the contract, then it could be terminated. But if it's a covenant, I can bring myself completely to the relationship. Marriage as covenant says you can be fully known and fully loved. Marriage as covenant says you have nothing to hide, nothing to prove, nothing to lose. You are fully loved in this relationship. Marriage as covenant. This is why God uses covenant language to describe his relationship with his people. It's why we have a book in the Bible called Hosea. If you've not read Hosea, you'll be surprised it's in the Bible when you read it. It's where God tells this faithful covenant and contract-keeping man of God to marry a wayward woman who does not keep covenants or contracts, and that's putting it mildly. God is providing in Hosea an analogy for how he loves his people. God is essentially saying, I will keep my covenant with you even though you have strayed. Even though you have not been faithful, I will be faithful to you. I will keep my covenant with you even though you have left me. Marriage is supposed to serve as an example of the love of Jesus for his church and for his church for him. But when we look at marriage as contract, it no longer serves to illustrate that love. Marriage is covenant. This is why we say, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. We don't really need to put the better health and riches part in there. I mean, there aren't a lot of people who said, oh, it got too good. They were too healthy, they were too rich. The point is, all this other stuff, it's going to go bad at some point. There will be disappointment. There will be unmet expectation. And if there is not covenant to protect the relationship when those things happen, then the relationship will suffer for it. So God says marriage is to be kept in the form of covenant because it protects the love that's there. Covenant law duty provides the protection and safe place needed for love to grow. Law, duty, and covenant are not enemies of love. They are necessary components to true love. We buy into this world which says that deep, meaningful love is found in emotion and not action. 
But it's not true. I love my children, but sometimes they drive me nuts. I love them. They're 11 years old and 8 years old. But imagine if I had said to them one day, you know, I love you guys, um, but, you know, a lot of times you don't meet my needs. And so we're going to end this relationship. No, there's a covenant relationship there that needs to be there that protects it because they are going to disappoint me and drive me nuts at times. But the relationship keeps me there so our love can grow. Duty and law are not enemies of love growing. They are necessary components for love to truly grow into all that it can be. We need covenant marriage because marriage is much more like Chopped than it is Rachel Ray's cooking show. Any of you watch Chopped? Any of you watch, some of you watch Chopped cooking show, right? So you watch Chopped. And if you watch this cooking show, they have these amazing chefs who can make these amazing meals, um, which is incredible. But what they do on Chopped is they give them some mystery ingredient or mystery ingredients for them to make these meals out of. And they don't know what they're going to be cooking with. And so they give them these strange things. They say, you've got mussels and waffles, now make an appetizer. And, and, and they give them these strange things. And these amazing chefs have to figure out how they're going to take this food and make it into a beautiful meal. Life is much more like Chopped than it is like Rachel Ray's cooking show or Rick Bayless, who I like watching Rick Bayless, Mexico, one plate at a time. And I watch, but I, when I watch Rick Bayless and I watch him cook, every ingredient he wants and needs is right there in front of him. And nothing he doesn't need or doesn't want isn't there. Right? So we're making, Rick Bayless is on there making chili rianos, and he's, he's cooking things in the pan, and okay, we need a little salt, so psh, we'll put that in, and we need a little sugar, so psh, we'll put that in right in there, mixing it all in. And marriage is much more like Chopped than it is like these cooking shows that are staged. Marriage is much more like pulling off the, pulling off the lid and looking, woo, calf livers. And you pull off the lid every day. It's like, woo, in-laws are here for two weeks. <laughs> I mean, whatever it might be, right? I mean, you, you, you pull off the lid and there's going to be difficulties. There's going to be all kinds of surprises that come up. And the reason for the covenant in marriage is because it's not going to be easy. Because romantic love will fade at times. Because you won't feel like being in love at times. You may say, I love you, but I don't feel in love at times. And covenant will protect you through those times. And covenant will protect your relationship through those times. Because in order for you to get to the depths of your love and the depths of all love can be, you need that get through those times. Duty's not a burden, but a gift to your marriage. That's why it should not be easily broken or easy to get out of because things are going to be hard. The paper marriage certificate is us saying to one another, we may be head over heels with each other in love right now, but we are also smart enough and aware enough to know we won't always feel like this, so we will commit to each other, and I will commit to you right now that through the ups and through the downs, I will not break my covenant to you. When times get hard, I won't run. I'm committing not to a feeling. I'm committing to a marriage. And that's why covenant adds to marriage. 
It's important. It's critical. It's not a contract. Contract won't get you to that depth of love because you're always going to be holding back, wondering if they'll leave if I tell them this. Can I be honest with them? Will they still love me if I tell them this? That will not get you to the depths of relationship that God wants for you in your marriage. That will not allow you to experience true love because you're always going to be afraid the other person's going to run. Duty, but what about desire? What about desire? Marriage is not all duty, is it? Of course not. Marriage is a wonderful mix of law and love, duty and desire. The reason people often break off the covenant is not just because they don't understand the duty, but because they don't cultivate the desire. In Matthew 19, Jesus is quoting a passage about marriage from all the way back in Genesis chapter 2. A passage that not only speaks of covenant and oneness, but also of how to get there and how to cultivate desire. And it's found in these words. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The words are leave and hold fast. Or some people say leave and cleave as a way to remember it. Or I like to put it, let go and hold on. If you want to cultivate desire in your marriage, if you want to have the desire, the marriage that God wants you to have, you need to let go and hold on. In order to cultivate not only duty but desire in your marriage, you need to let go and hold on. To let go, to leave. The passage says he needs to leave his mother and father. But what does that mean? It is not just a matter of, it's a matter of priority, not so much of location. It's not so much a physical leaving of one parent, although often that's necessary, as much as it is a recognition that the covenant with his wife, the covenant with your husband, now must overtake the commitment to your parents. Because in this culture, in this society especially, your main commitment prior to marriage was to the parents, was to your family of origin, was to your mother and father. And now you enter into the covenant of marriage, and what's recognized is the covenant of marriage, the covenant to your spouse, must now take priority over that previous commitment, which was previously your greatest commitment in your life. So now the wife becomes the priority. The husband becomes the priority. But to cultivate desire, you need to let go. For there to be oneness in marriage, that means all other previous commitments except to the Lord, which is eternal, need to take a back seat. When I don't do this, then I don't really understand the commitment that I'm making and I'm sabotaging God's best and plan for me right from the start. It's like not following the directions and then getting mad at the manufacturer because it doesn't work. We want the best marriage, but we don't want to follow God's directions on how to get it. We don't want to let go of other stuff. Everything cannot be a top priority in your life. Otherwise, you have no priorities. The man was leaving his, the priority of his family, the protection of his family, the provision for his family of origin. Now his wife would be his priority. It would be his responsibility to protect and provide for his wife, and that became the focus. If you have something that you are as committed to as your wife or your husband, it's not going to work. You will not have the marriage and all that it can be that God wants for you. 
could be anything. It doesn't have to be your father, your mother, your family of origin. It could be anything that takes priority. It could be a club. It could be a social group. It could be a hobby, a sport, a friend, a family member, a sports team, a job, a house, a relationship. Anything we have as a priority is going to, if it's more than our marriage, more than our spouse, we shouldn't be surprised when the marriage suffers. It's like the dog trying to get through the doorway with this giant stick in his mouth. And you keep, he keeps running up against the doorway and the edges of the stick keep hitting the door. And what are you going to do? You've got to drop the stick and walk in through the doorway. And many of us want to hold on to all of our other stuff and we want to get in that doorway of marriage. We want to have this great marriage. We want to have this fantastic marriage where there's things that we just need to let go of or you're not going to get in the doorway. It's not going to happen. So what do you need to leave? You're married. What are you holding on to more than your spouse? What do you need to let go of for the sake of your marriage? What has a greater hold of your attention and priorities than your marriage? We have to be careful here because we can deceive ourselves. We can deceive ourselves into thinking the things that we do. Well, I'm doing this for my marriage. I'm doing this for my family. We can deceive ourselves at times in thinking that things, things that are done for family are more important than the family. I was thinking about this in my life this week. And for me lately, it's been house projects. Maybe that's not your thing. That's my thing. We moved into a new house in this past year. And there is an endless, for me, from my perspective, an endless list of house projects. I am thankful that God gave me a wife that does not see it that way. She's gracious. Um, she's not here today. She's with the JBQ team. She's not here, not because I'm preaching on marriage. Um, <laughs> I should clarify that. Pastor preaches on marriage and his wife doesn't show up. Um, so like, we need a fact checker here. Um, no, I should, she's with the JBQ team on their way back from New York. But, uh, but it's, it's, I'm grateful for a wife who, uh, who doesn't see it that way. She looks and walks around the house and she's like, oh, it's great. And I walk around the house. I'm like, how can you? This needs to be painted. This needs to be fixed. This needs to be changed. This needs to be better. And sometimes I can get in the mindset of, well, I'm doing this for the family. Last week, I found myself down in the basement while my kids were upstairs watching TV. And I thought to myself, I was just convicted in that moment. Not always, because projects need to get done. But in that moment, in that time, I particularly was convicted. So what am I doing? What's going to matter in 10 years? What's going to matter in 10 years? That this room got finished, that this project got done, or that I went and spent time with my kids and my family? So I put down the tools and grabbed the baseball glove and said, let's go outside and play catch. Because what's going to matter? Because sometimes we can deceive ourselves into thinking, well, I'm doing this for the family, while the family is not really a priority in our lives. Cultivate desire. There are things you need to let go of. But then there's also things you need to hold fast to. There's things you need to cling to. There's things you need to cleave to. There's things you need to cling to. Some of the translations say united to, cling to, hold fast to, be joined to. The literal illustration is like being glued to. What does it mean to cleave to your spouse? What does it mean for the man to cleave to his wife? What does it mean to be united, to be joined? Your spouse has to be that person who's a priority in your life. 
Whatever hold fast means, it at least means take an interest in. Think about the person. Hold fast. It's like you're in the ocean and you can hold on to all kinds of things, but there are some things that are going to cause you to sink and then some things that will keep you afloat. And in your marriage, you need to let go of the things that are going to cause you to sink and you need to cling to your spouse. You need to think about that person. You need to be interested in that person. How do you know the love language of your spouse? If you don't know what I'm talking about by that, read Gary Chapman's book, The Five Languages of Love. Do you know the love language of your spouse? Do you know how your spouse gives and receives love? Because it may be that you are married to someone who receives love through something like acts of service. But maybe you are a gift giver. And so you love to give gifts and you come home with gifts and you come home with expensive gifts and you come home with thoughtful gifts and you give them to them and they sit on the counter and, and you think, wow, I'm showing how much I love this person and they just know how much I love them because I bought these gifts and all your spouse is thinking are, he won't pick up his socks off the floor, he doesn't love me. <laughs> because her language might be acts of service. And no matter how many gifts you buy, If you don't speak her love language of acts of service, it's not going to matter. She's not going to feel loved. Cling to at least means take an interest in, cleave to, grab to, take an interest in, put that person as a priority in your life, get to know them. How often do you spend thoughtful, how often throughout the day do you send thoughtful, flirty text messages to your spouse? What did you do to win your spouse while you were dating? And what have you stopped doing and why did you stop doing it? Why did you stop doing it after years of marriage? What did you do that you stopped doing that you should still be doing? When was the last time you bought a just because gift for your spouse? When was the last time you surprised your spouse in a good way, like a good surprise? Cling to, cleave to, united to, at least means that our attention is focused upon that person. We are, we are thinking about that person. We are, we are serving that person. We're loving that person. Do you put more thought into planning a vacation, a meal, a project at the house than you spend planning your marriage? Do you have a better strategic plan for your next career step than you have for your marriage? What if you took those same efforts that you have at work And you applied them to your marriage and came up with a strategic plan for your marriage, a five-year plan for your marriage, a 10-year plan for your marriage. Very rarely do we ever hear the story that a marriage fell apart because he was too caring and she was too loving and respectful. I just don't hear that story. I don't hear the story of, he spent too much time thinking about my needs and getting to know me and loving me. Or she was just too nice and caring and too often did all the things that I would hope she would do so it just didn't work out. Just don't hear those stories. And we know we don't hear those stories. But yet we still at times don't take interest in the other person. John Gottman, researcher, did a a major study on marriages and on couples. And uh, he Profile couples' uh, marriages as either masters or disasters. Couples that uh, stayed together or didn't. The masters were 
still happily married after their six years of their study, study, the disasters were either broken up or were chronically unhappy in their marriage. What makes the difference between the two in Gottman's study, it may surprise you. He noticed throughout the day, as he observed these married couples, that the married partners made requests for connection. What Gottman calls bids. They made bids for connection. And this is the example they give. A husband who's a bird enthusiast might notice the goldfinch fly across the yard. And he tells his wife, look at the beautiful bird. He's not just commenting, Gottman says, on the bird. He's requesting a response from his wife. And in a sign of interest or support, hoping they'll connect, however momentarily, over the bird. The wife now has a choice. She can respond by either turning toward or turning away from her husband. Though the bird bid might seem minor, it can actually reveal a lot about the health of a marriage. The bird was important for the husband, and the question is whether his wife recognizes and respects that. People who turned toward their partner in the study responded by engaging the bidder, showing interest and support in the bid, the ask. Those who turned away responded minimally, ignored the bid, or expressed contempt as in that's stupid or stop bothering me. These bidding interactions had profound effects on marital well-being. Couples who had divorced after the six-year follow-up had turned toward bids, expressed interest only 33% of the time. The couples who were still together after six years had turned toward bids 87% of the time. Nine times out of ten, they were meeting their partner's emotional needs. Hold on. Hold fast. Cling to. Be united to. Be joined to. At least means take an interest in the other person. It means when you put this bid out and you tell me something that's interesting to you, you tell me something that's going on in your day, you tell me something that caught your attention, that I will turn toward you. That I will show interest and show love toward you. And this will build our relationship because I cling to you because you are a priority in my life. And though there are other things that may come and start to try and occupy my mind and my heart, you as a spouse take that number one position. And so, meaningful love and meaningful marriage is a blend of both duty and desire. And desire is cultivated by letting go and by holding on. If you're going to have a meaningful marriage, it's a blend of duty and desire, and desire is cultivated by both letting go and holding on. However, the truth is, the reason we need a message like this is because all of our relationships, all of our relationships, marriage not only, but marriage not excluded, are impacted by the fallenness and sinfulness of humanity. And so there's one who's come who is greater than your spouse and who deserves greater love and commitment 
and priority in your life even than your spouse. One who left his father in heaven to come and dwell among us. One whose spirit dwells within us. Jesus gave his life and loved us because of that love he sacrificed himself for us. The truth is our marriages need a whole lot more than just some advice and direction. Our marriages are broken. They're broken because they are made up of two broken people. They don't need a self-help guru. They need a savior. They don't need revising. They need redeeming. God has sent a savior not only to redeem us, but to redeem our relationships, including our marriage, so that you can have the marriage that God has intended for you to have. When it comes to Jesus, let me ask you a question. Was it duty or desire that drove Jesus to the cross? Was it duty or desire that kept Jesus on the cross? The truth is, it's both. It was both. Because meaningful love has both duty and desire. And Christ expressed that on the cross by being obedient to the Father, but because of his love, his love for sinful men and women, he went to that cross. And so it was both duty and desire. And so for you to have a meaningful marriage, meaningful love, it will contain both duty and desire, and desire is cultivated by letting go and holding on. Would you pray with me? I'd like to close the service out in prayer. And I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And as we pray this morning, I want to pray specifically for marriages that are either in this room with a husband and a wife or perhaps represented because one spouse is here. You may be here without your spouse, but I want to pray for marriages. I understand that not everybody in here I'm speaking to is married, and thank you for being here and listening to what the Bible has to say about marriage, if that's you and you're here. I understand there are people here who I didn't address all the pain and all the other things that are associated with marriage has gone bad with abuse and other situations that you may have experienced. I'm not ignoring that pain. I'm not saying that's not real and that's not there. I'm not denying that at all. Please don't mistake my focus this morning for a lack of awareness or understanding of some of the other individual situations that are represented. We wanted this morning to focus on this aspect of marriage, what it is, what God intends it to be, and let you know that you can have a fantastic marriage. You can have a wonderful marriage that you can have marriage greater than you ever dreamed and desired, no matter where you are. Maybe you've just gotten married. Maybe you're engaged. Maybe you've been married for 50 or 60 years. God wants to speak life into your marriage today. And so I want to pray for marriages today. And if you're here today 
and you just say, you know what, that's me, that's us. Our marriage, it needs a touch from God. Our marriage needs to be rejuvenated. We've been living together more like roommates than husband and wife. We've been tolerating each other but not loving each other. And that's us, and we need a touch from God. We need God to do so, because we've tried other stuff, and we've tried everything else, but we need God just to speak life into our marriage, and that's us. And I, there are things I need to let go of, and there are things I need to hold on to, and I need to just commit to that this morning. And if, you, if that's you, and you are here with your spouse before doing anything else, what I want you to do is just tap the leg of your spouse beside you. Not because you're telling them you need to do something else. Because you're telling them I need to do something else. Because you're telling them I am taking responsibility for my part of this covenant. And I have things that I need to let go of. And I have things that I need to hold on to and grasp on to. And I want to love you better. And so you let them know because they are your greatest accountability partner. And they are the ones that will hold you accountable. So you let them know, I, this is me saying to you that I want to keep my part of this covenant better. That I want to let go and I want to hold on. And then if that's you and you would say, Pastor, I just want to just pray for us. Pray for our marriage as everyone's heads bowed and everyone's eyes closed. Just going to ask you just to lift your hand to God and say, God, that's us. We need you to touch our marriage. We need you to touch our marriage. God, would you touch our marriage? Thank you. Thank you. Hands going up all over here. Thank you. Just let God know. God, that's us. Lord, Father, I bring these marriages before you, these many hands that have gone up. Many people that have said, we have committed, we have covenanted together, but it's not easy. It hasn't been easy, and maybe today is a difficult time, or maybe this has been a difficult season right now. God, I pray for every one of these marriages, every one of these men and women who have lifted their hand and said, our marriage needs a touch from God. Our marriage needs life from God. Our marriage needs God to speak into it and rejuvenate it, that this morning you would meet them where they're at, and you would respond to their call and their cry for help, and you would, God, speak life and breathe life into these marriages that you would bring healing where healing is needed, that you would bring forgiveness where forgiveness has been withheld, that you would bring mercy and grace that has been extended to us through you, that we would also bring that mercy and grace to our marriage. Father, that you would break free chains that have held marriages back, things that we have put before our spouse. Lord, would you... Break those chains, Lord. Help, help us to let go of what we need to let go of and to hold on to the spouse that you have given to us, Lord. Father, I pray for the marriages at Mount Hope that you would make them not, even, not just places where couples are surviving, but, Lord, that we would be a church of thriving marriages. Marriages that the Apostle Paul would look to as he does in Ephesians say this is a representation of Christ in the church. Christ who is married to the church. The church is called his bride. 
And this is a representation, this husband and wife is a representation of Christ and the church, the love that they have for one another, the way they covenant for each other, the way they keep their covenant even through difficult times. This is a representation of God's love. Lord, may we be a church of those kinds of marriages, life-giving, joyful marriages that other people would look to and say, how do I get a marriage like that. And we will be able to point them back to your word and to what you have designed and to what you have showed us of how to have a meaningful and loving marriage. Lord, I ask your blessing upon these people and these marriages. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand as we close out our service and worship. One last action step for you. If you, rose, if you raised your hand today, then don't let it stop when you walk out the end of this door. My homework assignment for you is this. Go home, make two lists for your marriage. What do I need to let go of? How can I better hold on? How do I take more of an interest? How am I glued to, stuck to my spouse? What do I need to let go of? What can I do this week to show my spouse, my wife, your husband, how much you love them. And I challenge you this week to commit that and to live that out.